I came across a list this last week of ways to make life better. Wouldn't you like to know how you can make your life better? I think most of us in the room are like, yes, I'm all in for that. Uh, so this list compiled by different people, I just jotted down a few of the things that stuck out. One, number one, it says, start your day the night before. Eh, pretty practical, pretty simple. Uh, you know, so tomorrow morning is Monday, uh, so start Monday morning tonight. You're getting your clothes ready, figuring out what's going to happen in the morning when things take off. Start your day the night before. Uh, number two, one person said, in order to make life better, learn to say no. Anybody have trouble saying no in the room? Val, can I borrow 50 bucks? Okay, all right. You didn't have any problem then. I see how it's going to be today. Uh, number three, watch, I like this one, watch lots of comedy. I mean, even scripture backs this one up. You know, uh, laughter is good medicine. Watch lots of comedy. That's one person's idea of how to make life better. Uh, number four, focus your efforts on things you can control and don't worry about the rest. Might be easier said than done, but that might be some good advice for some of us this morning. Number five, be grateful for what you have. And this list just goes on and on and on. I mean, hundreds upon hundreds of ideas from different people all stating what they think would uh, make your life better. But I thought this morning for us here at Venture Christian Church, it might just be fun for us to come up with our own list for you Venturites, okay? So this is, I came up with the top three ways to make life better for us here, uh, here at Venture Christian Church. So number three, starting back, working backwards here. Number three, Ways to make life better. Whenever you're feeling down, whenever things are difficult, whenever you're feeling sad in life, get a video clip of Jay Jones dancing. Jay's at the sound booth back here. He didn't know we were videoing this a few months ago. You can even insert your own little text over the, the top of it. If you're feeling bad, down, sad, watch this video and you'll be feeling better. Number two, top three ways to make your life better. Number two, we might need to hit uh, pause on the recording here because I don't know that I want Nathan to hear this. But whenever uh, you're in the middle of Nathan's sermon, and maybe it's just kind of going on a little bit longer than normal, or maybe it's just not connecting with you as if that, I know that never happens, okay? But if that ever happens and you're going through the sermon and it's just getting hard to like stay tuned in and listen closely to him, imagine Nathan with a mullet. And if you're struggling with that this morning, <laughs> we gave you some, you know, some... Uh, visuals here to help with that imagination. I mean, if you're struggling to pay attention to the sermon, just visualize, I mean, you will smile during the sermon. You'll be locked in. You'll be hanging on every word that he's saying. And number one, top three ways to make your life better, live by God's word. In Matthew chapter four, verse four, Jesus has just fasted uh, in, the, in the wilderness for 40 days. He hasn't had his steak. He hasn't had mashed potatoes. He hasn't had the gravy. He hasn't been to Chick-fil-A for 40 days. He is hungry and he comes out and Satan, the tempter, comes to him and he says, Jesus, if you are really the son of God, then turn these stones into bread. You don't have to be uncomfortable anymore, Jesus. You don't have to be hangry. You don't have to be hungry anymore. Just turn these stones into bread. And Jesus responds with this verse from Deuteronomy. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, living only for material things is really not living at all. There are more important things in life than just the food we put in our stomachs. You can have the best food. You can have the best drinks. You can have the best house. You can have the best car. You can have the best of jobs and only merely exist but never actually be living. I've heard it said that some people are so rich that money is the only thing they have. I came across an article this week 
Uh, it was written by a successful businessman, and I was reading it. The title at the top just simply read, I am rich, successful, and have everything, but I'm unhappy. You see, each one of us were created for a purpose. There's a plan for our lives. God has designed us for something, but unless we dig into his word, we'll never know that. Unless we open up God's word and find out, God, what is it that you have crafted? What is it that you think about me? God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? We'll, we'll miss out and we'll never know uh, how to truly live. And so this morning, I want to start with some, a little bit of teaching and then we'll get into a little bit more practical side of it. But here's my point this morning. Your life will be better if you hang on every word of God, if you, if you hang on every word of scripture for three reasons. These reasons could go far beyond this, but we're just going to focus in on three this morning. Here's the first one. God's word is reliable. You can trust this. You can trust what's in this book. This book is not just a bunch of made-up stories. It's not, a, it's not made up of fairy tales. It's not just some hoax. God's word is reliable, and it is trustworthy. Uh, I came across this quote that it's impossible to find any other book that has the same credentials of the Bible. It's written by 66 books, written over the period of a 1,000 years, written in three different languages by dozens of different authors. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says this, all scripture, say all. That's pretty good. Let's try it again. All. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. These writers that wrote this book were inspired by God. This scripture is God-breathed. God's word has um, captured the attention of some of the greatest leaders and some of the greatest thinkers of all time. Abraham Lincoln said this, I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to men. And Sir Isaac Newton said, there are more sure marks of authenticity in the Bible than in any profane history. And Jesus said in Matthew, sorry, Jesus said in Mark chapter 13, 31, my words will never pass away. And do you realize that that's true? God's words have never passed away. God's word has survived time, thousands upon thousands of years, though, even though in its earliest form it was written on things like papyrus and leather. God's word has survived persecution in spite of emperors destroying God's word or ordering God's word to be destroyed. It has survived. God's word has survived criticism. You know that there have been thousands upon thousands of people that have tried to discredit God's word, right? They have set out, uh, Bill was talking about one this morning, Lee Strobel, he was setting out to disprove the credibility and the reliability of God's word, and thousands upon thousands of people have failed to discredit God's word. God's word has survived despite negligence and animosity. It has survived despite false systems like cults who have tried to twist its meaning and make it say what they want it to say. And I think those reasons alone might not convince the, the skeptics among us this morning, and that's okay, but I think that those reasons alone would at least cause us to think, you know what, maybe, maybe this deserves a fair hearing. Maybe I'll at least give it a shot. Maybe I'll at least have an open mind to what God's word is and to, the, and to its reliability. But let me tell you this morning what grabs my attention the most about God's word in terms of being reliable. Have you ever wished that you had insight into the future? I mean, wouldn't it be cool to be able to see what's gonna happen two months, three months from now? You could, you could know that. I mean, guys, you would know the perfect gift to get for your wives for Christmas this year. 
Uh, you would know when you should avoid the I-10 or the 290 because there's going to be a traffic backup. You, you wouldn't have to worry about that. You know, okay, I'm not going that way today. Uh, you would know who is going to win the 2020 presidential, presidential election. You wouldn't have to watch the news from here until it's all said and done. You would know what's going to happen. And probably most importantly, you would also know that the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl this year. Can I get an amen, Ken? I was hoping I wouldn't get booed. I, I like you guys. This is, this is getting fun already. I bet these following people wish that they had, that they would have had better insight into the future. In 1943, chairman of IBM, Thomas Watson said this, I think there is a world market for maybe five computers. He was a little off in that. In 1977, the president of Digital Equipment uh, Corporation said, there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. We know that's been wrong. 1930s, Gary Cooper, an actor, said, I'm just glad it'll be Clark Gable who's falling on his face and not Gary Cooper. That's what he said in regards to him saying no to being the lead role in Gone with the Wind. Hmm. I like this last one. In 1962, Decca Recording Company said, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. That's what they said when they rejected the Beatles. I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to see into the future a little bit and have some of that insight? The truth is none of us really know what's going to happen 100 years from now or 200 years from now. None of us really even have 100% certainty what's going to happen this week, do we? Or tomorrow, things are constantly changing. We don't know what's going to happen when we leave this building. But 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah wrote this. The Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And look what happened 700 years later in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophecy was fulfilled in Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, who was born of a virgin birth. Another example of that is in Matthew chapter 15. It says this, then, the, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. 700, 700 years later, Matthew chapter 15 is recording this. Great crowds came to see him, speaking of Jesus, bringing the lame, the blind, and the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed him. How in the world does Isaiah know this? How is he figuring this out? Well, I'm just wondering if maybe God's word is true that the writers of this book were inspired by God himself, that, that this scripture is God-breathed. Matthew chapter 26, Judas, speaking of Judas, uh, sorry, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12 through 3, uh, Zechariah prophesies that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Matthew chapter 26, hundreds and hundreds of years later, Judas asked, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? Speaking of Jesus, what are you gonna pay me if I hand Jesus over to you? And they respond, they counted out for him, not 29 pieces of silver, not 28 pieces of silver, not 31 pieces of silver. They count out for him 30 pieces of silver, which was foreseen hundreds of years earlier from Zechariah. You might think, well, that's only just three examples, right? Do you realize that in this book, there are 300 prophecies that are fulfilled just about Jesus alone? 300 times there was foresight about who Jesus would be and how he would come and how he would live and even how he would die. And every one of those prophecies was fulfilled. And if you go beyond that and, and deal with prophecies that aren't even referring to Jesus, things like John the Baptist and other followers, 
Uh, those numbers go into the thousands. Listen, this is the best-selling book of all time, written over thousands of years by dozens of different writers. And if you have questions today, if you have doubts, if you're skeptical about God's word, then I wanna tell you this morning that you are in the right place. Because if there's any place in the world where it should be safe for people to come, and ask honest questions, and honestly search out the truth, it should be in the church. And so you don't have to come here and be, feel like you're being pressured to believe something that you're not ready to believe. You can belong here before you believe. Do you realize that this morning? I mean, we hope you'll believe because we believe it'll change your life for the better. We believe that God's word is reliable, and if we live by it, your life will benefit from it. But if you're skeptical this morning, we want you to know we are so glad that you're here. And if you have questions, we want to calmly, casually help you out as you search out what the truth is and what you believe. Number two, I believe that your life will be better uh, if you live and if you hang on every word of God because God's word guides and it protects us. Aren't you thankful for that this morning if you've experienced this in life, that God's word actually guides us? It helps us as we navigate life's uh, difficulties and even life's joys, and it protects us. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet, and it is a light to my path. In other words, life becomes clearer through scripture. How many of you this past week, as you're driving around, used GPS or Google Maps or uh, the Waze app, some, some type of app? How many of you used that at least one time this last week? the majority, the far majority of the room. Anybody use it more than three times this week? Okay, well, okay. almost the same number. Maybe lost a couple of you. How many of you used it? I'm just gonna go crazy here. How many of you used it six times this week, excluding this morning? Yeah. Aren't you, aren't you grateful for GPS in Houston, Texas? I mean, I don't know, I don't know how, how people did it back in the day, which... I, I know what the day was like, but I lived in small Kansas where we had like three roads and now, you know, so, I t so I'm driving downtown a couple weeks ago. It was early in the morning. I'm taking my dog to the vet to get a surgery, which would lead to the cone of shame. I don't know that I probably shouldn't have told you all that, but I'm driving down the road and I'm realizing to myself as I'm just cruising along, I'm following the instructions uh, on GPS as I'm trying to get there. And I'm realizing, man, life is so much better with GPS. I mean, you can plan a trip in advance and it'll take you, tell you exactly when you need and it'll make you get there on time. If there's a hazard up, if you use a Waze app at least, there's, if there's a hazard up in the road ahead, it'll tell you, hey, there's a hazard, watch out. If there's a cop up in the road ahead, Waze app will tell you that. I know none of you even care about that because you're always going the speed limit because that's just the kind of people you are. If you take a wrong turn someplace along the way, it will calmly and kindly say recalculating and it'll map your route. It'll reroute you. It will get you back on track. I mean, I'm just telling you, life is better with GPS. I mean, you could choose to live without it, I guess, probably, but it's so much better when you choose to live by it. And the same exact thing is true of God's word. I mean, you can choose to live without this. People do it all the time. People do it every day, but when you choose to dig into God's word and live by it and apply it to your life, life is so much better. In the darkest seasons of our life, God's word will light the way for us. Uh, but it's not enough just to know God's word. 
not just to know what it says. I mean, if you really want to experience the freedom and joy that comes from God's word, then you have to make the daily decision to live by it. So Jesus is telling this incredible sermon. Uh, it's referred to as a sermon on the mountain, chapter five, Matthew chapter five through seven. He gives all this incredible information. People are hanging on every word that he's saying because it's just so valuable and so helpful to them. And he ends this, this incredible sermon in Matthew chapter seven, verse 24. And he ends it with this parable. He basically says, all these things that I've just told you, it may be good, it may be helpful, but it's not gonna do you any good unless you live by it. Check out what he says in verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. You can hear everything that Jesus has ever wanted you to hear. You can read every bit of this book. But unless we make the decision to apply it to our lives and to live by it, we are like foolish people who have built our houses on shaky soil. We build our houses on the sand. I mean, wouldn't you want to be wise? Anybody in the room just think that that, that makes sense? I want to be a person who lives according to wisdom. That's the person that, that I want to be. It's the person that I, I want to choose to be. But let's be honest. Um, we've, all have those, we've all had those moments, haven't, haven't we? When we, would de- when we didn't make the wisest decision, maybe we made some foolish ones. Um, I've, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a general contractor, I, so I wanna be cautious in this. I don't wanna look down on anybody too, too difficult here uh, because I've never installed a fire escape before. But whoever built this one uh, apparently missed a few calculations. Can you see what's happening here? And I don't know what you think about Bob, but this just doesn't look very smart to me. <laughs> This, this next contractor, I hope none of you would work for this guy. How, how about this lady? Now, let's be honest this morning. How many of you have done this? I mean, you're standing there. You're pulling on the door. You're, you're even getting kind of mad. Why would the door be locked? It's 10 o'clock in the morning. And then you look down and you see, oh, I'm supposed to be pushing instead of pulling. Uh, I almost didn't show this last one to you because I don't know how you all feel um, about cats, but whoever came up with this experiment might not be the best person, the wisest person to watch your animals. You see, wisdom, it protects us. Wisdom guides us. It, man, let's just be honest today. Wisdom makes life better, does it not? And God didn't just give us his word because he wants to force us or make us bow down to a bunch of rules and regulations. God gave us his word to provide wisdom into our lives so that we can experience freedom and joy in life. That is good news today. So um, it's just been a few weeks ago, and my family and I, we all loaded up in the van, and we were heading to Kansas, going to go visit some people there. And we get to this little place called Okmulgee, Oklahoma. Some of you know where it's at. And so I'm driving into Okmulgee and heading down the road when all of a sudden I see these 
flashing lights in my rearview mirror. I'm thinking, great. My kids in the back are saying, Dad, we've never seen you get pulled over before. Like, this is going to be great for them. I'm like, this is not good. He, the officer comes to the, up to the car. He says, uh, sir, did you realize you were speeding? I honestly didn't even realize. Now, the first few, hundreds of the tri- first few hundred miles of the trip, I was speeding, and I knew it. But in this particular spot, I wasn't even trying to speed. And he pulls me over, and I was going way over. And um, so he says, you know, um, hey, there's a lot of traffic on the road out here. Um, why don't you just come on back to my car? And that way we don't have to speak over the engine noise of all these cars passing by. And so um, I get out of the vehicle and I go back to, uh, to sit in the cop car in the back. And my youngest daughter, Cadence, I guess I find out this later, as I was walking to the police car, uh, my youngest daughter, uh, Cadence, asked, is daddy going to jail? <laughs> not, not my finest moment, I can tell you. I can tell you that. I mean, you know what it's like, don't you, when you're flying down the road? No, nobody wants to admit it. <laughs> Marcus is shaking his head. I've never done that before. You, oh, come on. You guys know what it's like. You are, you're late to that meeting, to that appointment, and you're flying down the road, and what are you doing? Is that an enjoyable drive? No. I mean, you're white-knuckled. I mean, you're tense, you're short, you feel it in your shoulders, and it's just not, it's, it's almost miserable, isn't it? And the whole time you're driving over the speed limit, what are you doing? You're like, where's, where's it? You're, you're looking far out in advance. You're checking the side roads. Is there going to be a cop that's going to that's pull out in front of me? Do you, realize, do you realize what's happening when you do that? Do you, do you realize that life is just more enjoyable and better when you live in, according, in accordance with the law? Because what happens when you decide, you know what, I'm not in a hurry. I'm just going to drive the speed limit. I mean, you can sit back. You can crank the music up. You got the AC kicking. If somebody's in the car with you, you can have a good, good old conversation with them. No worries. I don't have to worry about the penalties that are going to come from breaking the law. And that's exactly what God's word does for us. It protects us. It actually opens the door for us to experience freedom and joy in life. God's word protects us. It guides us. Jeremiah chapter 8 verse 9 says this, The wise will be put to shame. They will be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord. I can just speak honestly with you this morning that the worst times of my life, the times when I have experienced the deepest regrets, the times I have experienced the most shame, have all one thing in common. As I look back, I can see that in each one of those moments, I wasn't living in accordance with God's word. Every single time. And so the wise will be put to shame, they will be dismayed and trapped since they have rejected the word of the Lord. What kind of wisdom do they have? I mean, do you wanna live life on your own wisdom? Or wouldn't it be incredible if somebody knew everything there was to know, maybe someone like Jesus, And he was willing to give us his wisdom. That would be incredible. And here's the deal. God won't force you to obey his word. He lets you choose. And so you get to decide today, do you want to live with GPS or do you want to do it on your own? The choice is yours. Nobody forces you. God doesn't force you. But man, I'm just telling you today that life is so much better when we live by God's word, when we put it into practice. The last thing I want to share with you this morning is that life is better when we hang on every word of this book because God's word points us to Jesus. And this really is the big deal today. 
This really is the big deal of life. This is the main point of God's word. Do you realize that every book in the Bible in some way, in one way or another, points to Jesus? In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, the high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud and the fire. In Deuteronomy, Jesus is the prophet like Moses. In Joshua, the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is the judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he is the kinsman redeemer. In Samuel, he is the prophet of the Lord. In First and Second Kings, he is the reigning king. In Chronicles, he is the glorious temple. In Ezra, Jesus is the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, the rebuilder of the walls. In Esther, Mordecai. In Job, he is the day spring from on high. And in Psalms, he is the Lord who is our shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the wisdom of God. In Song of Solomon, he is the lover and the bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the suffering servant. And in Jeremiah and Lamentations, he is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, the son of man. In Daniel, he is the son of man coming in the clouds of heaven. In Hosea, Jesus is the bridegroom. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. In Amos, the burden bearer. In Obadiah, Jesus is the mighty Savior. In Jonah, the forgiving God. In Micah, the messenger with beautiful feet. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. And in Habakkuk, he is the greatest evangelist crying for revival. In Zephaniah, he is the restorer of the remnant. And in Haggai, the cleansing fountain. In Zechariah, the pierced son. And in Malachi, the son of righteousness. God's word has one central theme and that theme is Jesus Christ in him. So the question for us all today is not how much scripture do you know? The question for us today is not can you quote every verse and chapter and book of the Bible? The question is do you know the one that scripture points us to? So you can study this book, you can memorize it, You can get a bachelor's degree in it, a master's. You could even get a doctorate in this book. Frankly, you can know God's word as well as Jesus himself. But unless it makes you like Jesus, you forfeit the power and the freedom and the joy that comes through knowing God's word. It's all about Jesus. So what will you do with Jesus? Each and every one of us in this room are sinners. I know that's not real encouraging news for you this morning, but it is the truth. We all know what it means to, to fail, don't we? We all know what it means to have that moment in life that wish we could redo that one. We're each sinners. We've all fallen short of what God has called us to do. We all deserve punishment for that sin. But God's love for each one of us is so much greater than all of our sins combined. And his light can pierce through the darkest places of our past, of our present, and even of our future. Isaiah chapter 53 says this, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds, we are healed. You don't have to punish yourself for what you did wrong. And nobody else has to punish you for what you've done wrong. You don't have to live in shame and in sorrow and in regret any longer because that punishment was put upon Jesus so that we could have what? So that we could have peace. There was a missionary in Africa and he was, he was trying to win this man named Gambarombi to Christ. Uh, Gambarombi, he was this uh, bold personality and every day he would sit on the side of the road and he would uh, roll paper and smoke uh, these cigarettes. 
He would get it from newspapers and things like that. He'd roll it up and smoke it. And so uh, this missionary uh, who had been translating the Bible desperately wanted to give Gambarombi a uh, copy of the New Testament that he had translated. But he knew what would happen. He knew if he gave him the New Testament, Gambarombi would end up just ripping the pages out and roll it up and smoke it. And so he prayed about it. You know, what should I do? How can I get Gambarombi to, to really read God's word? And he finally realized, you know what? I'm gonna do it. And he went to Gambarombi and said, listen, I wanna give you a copy of the New Testament. I, I know what you're gonna do with it. You're gonna rip the pages out. And one by one, you're gonna roll it up and you're gonna smoke it and that's okay. But before you smoke each page, I just, if I give this to you, I want you to promise me that you will read it before you smoke it. And crazy enough, Gambarombi, he agreed, I, I'll do that. So fast forward 15 years to a missionary convention in Africa full of people sitting around listening to this man standing on the stage giving his testimony at this conference. The guest speaker's name, Gambarambi. He said that missionary gave me the New Testament and I smoked my way through Matthew and I smoked my way through Mark and I smoked my way through Luke and I started smoking my way through John until I got to chapter three, verse 16 that says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And now instead of smoking the gospel, I believe the gospel. I preach the gospel because in the gospel, I met Jesus. And that's the whole point for us today. Why will God's word make your life better? Because it will point you to Jesus. And when you have Jesus, I'm just telling you from personal experience today, you have everything you could ever need. He's greater than the material things that we sometimes live for. He is the forgiver of our sin. He lights the path for us. He is everything we need today. And so the only way that you can know if you're really walking with Jesus isn't just by showing up in church. You realize that, right? Just being here today doesn't mean that you're just automatically a follower of Jesus. Just being here, you, you could sit in church for the next 30 Sunday, 30 years, the next 30, how am I saying that? Then you could sit in church every single Sunday for the next 30 years of your life but it won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage will make you a Ferrari. You've maybe heard this before. You could sit in church every day of your life, but it won't make you a Big Mac any more than sitting in McDonald's will make you a Big Mac. You could sit in church for every day in your life. You're gonna like this one, but it won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a donut shop will make you a police officer. There is only one way to be a Christian. There's only one way to know that you are walking with Christ. There is only one way to know that you are right with God and that your eternal destination is in heaven. And that is through Jesus. And how do you learn about Jesus? Through God's word. Man, I'm not here to beat anybody up this morning. I, I don't wanna make anybody feel guilty if you're struggling to read this, that's not my point. I hope that today you will be inspired and realize that this word brings words of life to us that will make your life better. And ultimately your life will be better when you say yes to Jesus.